Hi, my name is Bob Brooks, founder of Long the Tooth Podcast. Most dentists fail to plan ahead for the sale of their practice, which costs them hundreds of thousands of dollars and burdens the ones they love with uncertainty about the future. So every Friday on Long the Tooth, we share non-clinical insights from dental industry experts to help practice owners prepare for the sale of their practice today so they maximize profitability and peace of mind in the future. For all the hard work you put into building a practice, we believe that you, your family, and your staff deserve to transition after the sale into an even richer and more rewarding season of life. Hi, and welcome. This is Randon Jensen. I'm here with... Marie Chavely. Nice to have you here. Hi, Marie. We are um, back with another edition of uh, the podcast. We are addressing another question that we get frequently. And as kind of a follow-up to the podcast, if you've listened to uh, Marie's interview with um, Bill Rossi, then you know that uh, there reaches a point in most practices in the life cycle of a practice where the doctor, we, we call it set point, solo economic threshold, the point where the doctor's as busy as they want to be or as busy as they can be. Um, they're working as much as they want to, or they really physically can't work more without, without adding days or adding or growing extra arms to do more dentistry. And so we get the question often, when do I know if I'm ready to bring on an associate? And usually when you start to feel that, hey, this is more than I can handle, that's a good indication to start looking at some of the other elements, some of the other practice characteristics that may may indicate that the practice is ready to bring on an associate. Um, so we want to discuss a few of those uh, today. Marie, what would you say is the first thing when you get this call and somebody's looking to bring on an associate, what's one of the first things that you look at? Yeah, and I would have to say I probably get this call maybe three, four times a month. It's a pretty common conversation where, you know, our providers here are super busy and the our independent practitioners are super busy. They're uh, trying to make a decision like we discussed in my podcast with Bill Rossi. Do I drop insurance? Do I add an associate? Do I do a combination of both? And so looking at your practice to determine if you're in a good position to add an associate, I do think there are some pretty easy items you can identify very quickly to know if you're in a position that this would make sense to do so. You don't always have to add somebody full time. Maybe it is just adding somebody a day or two a week and graduating them into the practice. But the first indicator is I look how far in advance you're booked for not just your hygienist, but also your operative production. And if I've got a practice that's booked maybe two to three weeks with the hygienist and maybe a week and a half with the doctor, I would say that's not what we're looking for. That's not quite busy enough. Maybe that's sufficient to sustain your production of what you've been doing for years. So you're very comfortable. But to me, that doesn't show that there's excess capacity there for somebody to step in. Now, if I'm talking with someone, and this is more a common conversation where they're saying, gosh, I don't have room in my schedule for, you know, three, four months for a new patient for recall. I have a huge list of people trying to get in. My operative schedule is booked over a month. So four or five weeks. I mean, that's pretty excessive. And to me, that tells me without knowing anything else that, yeah, you've you're, you're beyond your capacity here. So you're likely looking at a lot of things. Maybe changing up your insurance participation is one of them and bringing on an associate is another. And your schedule is a huge indicator. Uh, another one I think is the active patient count. And Randon, you can jump in here. Uh, for my clientele, I would say I have two different groups of practices. One that is more of a fee-for-service practice. Maybe they're only contracted with one plan. And for that office, usually I see about one to 200 patients per 100,000 in revenue. 
If I've got a practice that's participating with quite a few insurance plans, that may be two to 300 patients per 100,000 in revenue. So this one's a hard one because I feel like you can only see so many patients. <laughs> and right. then from there, maybe you do have a really large active patient count, maybe somewhere between two and 3,000, but they're not coming back for recall or they can't get in for recall, or maybe you have some attrition. So I think making sure you have a healthy active patient count is the goal. It doesn't necessarily have to be dramatically over that to say that you're ready for an associate. What would you say, Randon? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with all of that. I agree that first thing I always look at is the bookings because that's usually pretty telling, right? Just like you were saying, how far in advance is the doctor booked and then how far in advance are, is hygiene booked? And then looking at the, do we have the patient base then to back that up? Because like you said, if we've got a short, uh, a relatively thin ratio, right? If we've only got maybe closer to 100,000, excuse me, 100 active patients per 100,000, meaning if we've got a practice that's collecting 700,000 a year and they only have 700 active patients, that's usually an indication, could be an all cash payment pay, uh, practice with very little insurance participation and maybe they have uh, high fees, um, but it also could be an indication that it's a very comprehensive um, practice or the comprehensive treatment planning. And so they're producing a lot per patient that may or may not be able to sustain bringing on an associate because there may not be a lot of additional work left to be done with those patients. So yeah, a PPO, a practice is heavily involved in, in network participation with PPO. They need to have a higher ratio of active patients. So yeah, two things that we look at first. Next, I look at the new patient flow. And you were, we were talking earlier about one of the ratios that you look at as far as the number of new patients, just for like a zero growth versus a growth. What are yeah, some of those? For me, I, for one provider, I really wanted to see that they have around five to seven new patients per month, just to replenish the standard attrition in the practice. If I have over 10 patients, 10 to 15 or higher, I consider that a growing practice, but even 10 is not a that's not a big growing practice. I mean, startups can be anywhere from 20 to 80 new patients per month or higher. So I think the baseline really needs to be five to seven per provider. So not per practice, per provider. And then over 10 would show that there's some growth here for them to, you know, bring someone on. Because one thing you have to think about ahead of time is that when associate comes on, there's a fair amount of patients that likely still want to see the host doctor. And if you can't afford to give all of the new patients to the associate, that could be problematic. If you need a large portion of that new patient flow, then you've got to count for five to seven going into your schedule and then another 20, 30 for that associate to have enough going into their schedule to build their side of the equation. And from there, you really have to look at the dentist population ratio of your marketplace. Because if you're needing to go from five to seven to let's say 30 new patients and you're analyzing if it's going to make sense for you to add a bunch of marketing, let's say, into your business model, then I've got to know that you can draw from the patient base. And yours could be a little bit different from mine. So in my marketplace, I really want to see that there's about one practitioner per 1,200 patients, somewhere in that range, to kind of just have a sustaining practice. If I need to grow or have a startup in a location, I really want over one to 2,000. So I want more than one to 2,000 dentists per population. And I'm talking about kind of a small area. So in a metro area, I'm talking about usually within like a three mile radius of the practice. You don't want to, you're not drawing from a huge area when you're in a metro area. But uh, 
what, is that much different from where you are? Yeah, no, I, no, I, I agree. Um, it, maybe the ratio is a little bit higher, but it, part of that again, depends on the insurance participation. Right. But, but, but yeah, definitely a next step is to look at, okay, where is the, the, where is the new patient flow currently? And is the new patient flow just sustaining the growth or um, is there additional new, new, new patient flow that will uh, facilitate the growth and kind of related to that, I'll, I'll look at, at the, the historical recall or the current recall, the status of the recall program in the office uh, or the recare, how comprehensive is the practice in getting patients back in for their periodic recare appointments? If they've been pretty lax on that, then there could be, could potentially be a, an entire, an entire pool of patients uh, that are, quote unquote, inactive, but really haven't gone anywhere else. In fact, I read a statistic a few years ago that 70, it was a little over 70% of Americans uh, see their dentist only once every three to five years. And so unless the practice is really good about educating them on the need for a six month or 12 month recall, um, a lot of those patients just self-appoint and they don't, they only do it every three to five years. And so, um, a lot of times I'll step into a practice if they've become very lax with their, their recall, they may have an entire pool of quote unquote inactive patients that are really just waiting to be reactivated. And if that's the case, that can help us um, kind of facilitate bringing an associate on and filling an associate schedule, right. By pulling yes. from those and patients. I, yes. And when I have a provider that is super busy, I find that you know, the recall program is the first to go. They're so busy that they don't, right. they don't, they're not taking the time to make sure everybody's pre-appointing because they already are super booked out. So it's kind of on you as a patient. So adding, and each practice management software, you can actually pull up these statistics to analyze this, to see, you know, what percentage of your patient base is not pre-booking for recare, as well as how many you have that are overdue in conjunction with how many patients you've really seen like in the last 12 months, 24 months, whatever it may be to get a feel for, you know, how many have been kind of lost on the wayside that you, like you're saying only come in maybe three years, but they would more so if they kind of had somebody encouraging them to schedule. And right there, you could have an easy five, 600 patients that are just sitting there that could easily go into the associate schedule. They just need um, some time to be focused on. And with the practice management software, secondly, you can also look to see what your, active patient count has been in those couple of years, because that will also give you a better picture of, you know, what this looks like for your attrition, because you could have 30, 40 new patients per month, but then maybe you're still kind of staying at the same active patient count for four or five years. Yeah, so good that's point. An that you're having excessive attrition and you can't necessarily count on, you know, this recare pool or new patient count to be there for this associate. So keeping that in mind, I think is just as imperative. Yeah, no, that's excellent because we have seen that. It's rare, but occasionally we will see practices where they're losing them out the back door as fast as they're coming in the front. And they, they just they don't have great patient retention. And, and that can be an issue for sure. You know, talking about the new new patient flow, I'd also I read a statistic uh, that uh, the zero growth was is about one new patient for every 3,000 in monthly collected revenue uh, or about 10 for every 30,000. And that's kind of maintaining Meaning if, if that's your ratio, and, and that can vary, right? It can be anywhere from uh, three to five uh, thousand or thirty to fifty thousand in that range. But uh, if that's your if that's your ratio of new patients, then you're probably just maintaining. Because, like you said, practices that are really growing are in high growth mode. You know, we're seeing 
40, 50, 60, 80 new patients a month, right? And so even if you're just maintaining, part of that could be a function of, hey, I've started to book out so far that it's starting to work against me, right? How often do we see this where existing patients are choosing to go elsewhere rather than wait four yeah, to six right. weeks to get in to have work done? Or new patients are calling up saying, I'd like to get in. Well, yeah, we've you're going to have to wait five months to get in for, a, for an exam and cleaning. Uh, I'll go somewhere else. So there reaches a point where your own success starts working against you and bringing in, like, like you were talking about with, with Bill Rossi, you really kind of at a, at a crossroads at that point, you've re reached your, your set point. You can either start thinning or in hopes of kind of thinning by, by um, uh, maybe changing your network in network or out of network status with insurance uh, oftentimes that will work for offices because so I would say it doesn't often work. Like this is the part that's been interesting for me with my clients that have transitioned and changed their insurance participation over the last, uh, three to five years is they're telling me they, they kind of hoped they would have more attrition than they did because they were too busy and they didn't have it. I've had some doctors say that, Hey, we kept a list on one page on one page of everybody that left 50% of them came back. So we didn't really see the attrition we were hoping for. And now they're in this second conversation with us as to, okay, I need to discuss the reality of bringing an associate on. Like I'm, I, we made that transition that was very successful for us. We were happy with it, but now we're still booked out, you know, four or five months. We've still got uh, new patients that can't get in all of the above and existing patients that are frustrated. They can't get in and um, you know, potentially going elsewhere because we can't, we can't manage the capacity. No, that's a good point. No, you're exactly right. I would say probably a decade ago doing this, going out of network with insurance plans was almost a guarantee to to eliminate some of the patients. But you're right. In, in recent years, that's just not been the case. Um, patients are willing to pay the difference out of pocket to stay stay with their, if they have a good a good provider, a good dentist that they really like, they're willing to do that to stay. So we're faced with that second fork in the road, right? Do we, well, do we bring somebody on? We Do we increase our capacity to produce? And, uh, and so these elements that we're looking at, right? Like the, what, how far in advance are you booked to recap? Um, what's your new patient flow? What's your active patient base? How comprehensive have you been with your, uh, recare program? Those are all things that we look at. And if, if those, if we kind of check all the boxes in each of those areas, then the next step, uh, well, and I don't want to mention too, usually the next step is a demographic study, right? We may look at, like you were talking about, what's the population to dentist ratio, dentist to population ratio in that area. And is that conducive to additional growth? Mm -hmm. um, are there additional patients in the marketplace that could be picked up through some marketing and brought in to accommodate or facilitate greater growth? But we'll also do a deeper dive into the financials, right? Let's run a cash flow analysis and let's determine okay, doc, where do you want to practice? You may want to cut back a little bit. Here's what we'd anticipate the practice to grow if you do. And is that sufficient to keep an associate busy full-time? It may not. It may only be part-time. When we don't want to mislead an associate by promising them a full-time schedule when we may not be able to provide that for the office and or the office may not be able to meet the personal financial needs of both doctor. And I've seen that happen before. If there's a lot of debt in the practice, for example, um, certain things like that can hinder then financially the practice being able to support an associate. Yeah, I think if all the other indicators are leading towards that this is essential to be serious about looking at an associate, I really do think the financial analysis is the most essential part of this because that gives us an opportunity to have a real conversation about, okay, what does this actually look like if I bring an associate on two days a week? 
am I, do I have the patient flow to support them in the schedule where I'm not having to cut back? Because I would say most of my clients have no interest in cutting back to bring an associate on. They need to keep their existing schedule and then add to it. So they want to see what this looks like. If I bring the associate on, can I sustain this and add the patients in? And if not, what does that look like for me to cut back in my schedule for two, three months financially? Like what does my take home look like Financially, if I cut back a little bit for two, three months to bring them on and build this up. So then we're both at a, you know, full-time capacity, which could be, you know, six, 12 months, 18 months. It could, it could vary depending on the individual, but seeing what the overhead looks like and debt, I think plays a huge part in this conversation because uh, your associates doesn't have debt that they're paying. You're, you're just paying them, you know, uh, whatever compensation you agree, agree to, which is, uh, has to fit within all of your expenses. I think there's a misconception that host doctors make a ton of money on associates and that's not always the case. Usually the the difference between the overhead and what they're paying the associate can sometimes be minuscule, like hardly anything until they really build enough capacity that it, the overhead does reduce because the overhead doesn't magically reduce just by adding a second provider in there. It takes some time. And then yes, there is a benefit to having more than one person in an office by shared expenses. But um, sometimes that extra profit that's made and having an associate there is pretty small at the onset while you're reaching capacity. And so this is the conversation I, I enjoy the most because I feel like I like talking about real numbers. I like looking at, you know, what the practice is currently doing, what this would take to bring an associate on. Are we having to add staff? Do we have to bring another assistant on? Do we have to add other front office personnel to support the volume of this? So let's say all of the check mark, let's say we're checking everything off. We have excess capacity. We have you know, this gigantic referral base that we know we can draw from. We have lots of added new patients. The host doctor doesn't have to see any of those new patients. Maybe it's an office that stopped taking new patients, which I'm starting to see as well. But then let's dive right into what this looks like financially. So if I'm paying an associate this amount, after I'm adding some overhead in to bring them on, what does this look like for me in three months and six months? Where do they need to be at? Where does the associate need to be at production-wise to be successful? Because we have, I mean, We've had associates all over the place, some right out of school, some have been working somewhere for two, three years, they have different levels of experience, they produce different amounts, and that has to be a part of the conversation as well. If you want to hire somebody right out of school so you can mentor them right from the beginning, they are not going to be high producers day one. And you have to count that into the equation with the financials that you're looking at. Right. Well, and I think it's important to, to point out, you make a good point that there may be some additional costs in bringing an associate on initially, right, to accommodate them, and that can that can... Uh, affect the what we call profit override or the amount of money that, that the host is making from the associate. But I think it's important to, to note that as a general rule, the fixed costs don't change. It's really only the variable costs that are associated with each additional dollar the associate's producing. So an associate can be very um, profitable for a host, right? You can you can make some good money and or cut back your time and still make the same amount of money if, if it's handled correctly. And that kind of opens the door to this next question of, well, if, if I do bring on an associate, how do I do it? And if if we uh, um, if we have um, the capacity to do it, what about the physical facility? If we have the capacity in terms of uh, the patient base and the financials and that'll support it, well, I've only got four ops or five ops and how do we accommodate that? And there's some ideas for doing that. You don't always have to expand it. So we're gonna address those in some future uh, podcasts. There's also the question of, hey, if I get in a good associate, how do I keep them long-term, right? That's a question I get, we get frequently because if it is somebody that's really good, chances are they're gonna want a piece, of pie, a piece of the pie. The question is, are you willing to let them buy into the practice or do you only want an associate, but want to avoid a revolving door of associates? 
we have some ideas on things that have worked to keep an associate out around long-term. So how's that for a teaser for future podcasts? I think that's great because I think next time when you join us, we'll dive into further details about how to structure this so it can be very successful for your associate working with you um, in conjunction to what it looks like to have them join you as a partner, whether it be associate buy-in, buy-out, all of those options. Excellent. As usual, Marie, you're brilliant. So great to visit with you. Yeah. And hopefully... Yes, of course. Thanks for joining us. Uh, and hopefully these have been some helpful thoughts uh, for those of you who may be considering bringing on an associate. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. 